You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue on the series of intriguing women. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we are in Joshua chapter 2. And uh, so you can open your Bible there, get your iPad, iPhone, Blackberry, wherever you got the Bible downloaded these days. And if you know it by memory, way to go. Uh, probably none of us do, but if you happen to, that's amazing. But let's get to Joshua chapter 2 this morning, and uh, we'll look at Rahab and the Red Streamer. If, by the way, you've missed some of the others on this series on intriguing women, you can check them out at the website, podcast, listen to them there. Stay up to date, stay current. Uh, we go through them also in our life group, so you can also catch it there. At these amazing stories of incredible women of faith. Today we're talking about Rahab. So before we go further, let's take a moment to pray. Ask God to help us understand what he's got for us to learn this morning. God, thank you for your word. It's living, it's alive. You said my words are spirit, they're life. And we've come today, God, to, to hear what you have to say to us. We didn't come to listen for our neighbor. We didn't come to fill out a report card. We came to say, Lord, speak into my life. May courage come, may strength come, may I be comforted, may I be exhorted, may I be encouraged. Lord, you know what's ahead of us this week. Every one of us will have perhaps a challenge, perhaps something we're really excited about, or, but we want to be prepared. So we simply ask that this morning as we take time aside to be here in church, you would prepare us for the week to come. We need you, Holy Spirit. We admit that. We need your help. And you've been sent by our Lord to be the helper, and we need you. So even this morning, would you help us to hear and to digest what we need today to go forward? You're the great teacher, Holy Spirit, and we welcome your presence. Amen. All right. Rahab and the Red Streamer. Get your notes out. Get your Bible out. We're ready to go. Before we do that, would you look at your neighbor and just say, I'm so glad I'm sitting by you today. Yeah. The story takes place in Jericho. Anybody been to Jericho? How many have been to Jericho one, two, three, four, five. We got, I've got a number of people been to Jericho. If you have been there, you know that it's in a hot place. It's the lowest city in the world. It's about 800, almost 900 feet below sea level. So it's, it's down there. Uh, it's not too far from the Jordan River, about eight miles close to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point where the lowest sea anyhow. That's where the Jordan River runs into. It doesn't exit the Jordan River or it doesn't exit the Dead Sea, just runs into it. Jericho is an old, 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 old city. It's perhaps the oldest inhabited city on the planet. It was here about 9,000 or so years before Christ, so it's been around for a long time. Uh, long before the pyramids were built, the walls of Jericho were already there. There's an amazing uh, stream that flows through it. There's this, if you go to Jericho, it's, it's watered, the the gardens there, the palm trees by this stream that flows through it. So it's an oasis in the desert. It was along a major trade route for years. And uh, in Jericho is where we have our story today. This is where we have this intriguing woman, Rahab. She lives in Jericho. We say city. We think Vancouver, Regina, Seattle, St. Louis, you know, city. But it's a city of about 3,000 for the day. Big city. For our time, it would be a village. But for them, big city. She lives there on the wall. 
there's actually two walls around Jericho. If you go and do any type of research on it, or if you go visit it, you'll find out there was two walls, an outer wall, an inner wall. The outer wall is six feet wide. The inner wall is 12 feet wide. And between the two walls is where her house was. And if you lived in between those two walls, you were uh, not as affluent and your, your place in society wasn't perhaps as great as those who lived inside the walls. So this is where our character lives. She's intriguing for a lot of different reasons, and we're going to find that out today. But perhaps the most significant thing about her that makes her intriguing is this. The question is, how does this woman, one of two women, make it into the Hall of Faith. If you've ever gone to a Hall of Fame, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a Hockey Hall of Fame, a Football Hall of Fame, you're, you read the stories, you see the memorabilia and, and so forth, and you, and you look at it, it's very intriguing. And, uh, but the Bible has something called the Hall of Faith, and that's found in Hebrews chapter 11, and she's mentioned there. The only other lady who's mentioned there is Sarah, Abraham's wife. So I mean, it would be quite an accomplishment to be on the same list as Sarah in the Hall of Faith. So what is it about this lady? How did she make that Hall of Faith? So that's where we want to go today. What was it about her? She's quite an intriguing lady. When I get to heaven, I hope to be able to sit down and talk to her and, and hear her story, go back and rewind the footage and see what really took place in her life. Uh, there is a, a, a movie coming out about her, and I want to introduce the trailer to you this morning about that movie. And like a lot of movies, it's not really totally accurate, but it gives us a flavor of the movie. This movie is a very low-budget movie, as you'll see, but nonetheless, it's, it's a movie that is probably never going to be released. But nonetheless, we'll watch the trailer for this, and it's simply called Rahab, and uh, you'll get an idea as I show it, and it'll help you get into the story of Rahab, this intriguing woman. So let's watch a little trailer, then we're going to go into the message. In a world where evil is the order of the day. What do you want? We're just two Canaanite shepherds looking for a place to stay. Canaanite shepherds, huh? All right, come in. One woman will make a break with her past. Thank you. We were quite tired. Don't even think about it. And risk it all with a shot at a brand new life. Just what I thought. A couple of Hebrew spots. What will you do, Rahab? I don't know. What's it worth to you? Go. Through that door, there's a ladder that leads to the roof. I'll take care of them. Gentlemen, what can I do for you? We are hunting some Hebrew spies. Haven't seen anybody like that around here. Then you won't mind if we come in and take a look around. I'm telling you, you're wasting your time. They've probably already escaped through the front gate. Take a look at this! You want to explain this to me? How did that get there? Come on, you are coming with us. Guess again. Rahab. See the touching roof scene where Rahab reveals her sensitive side. Don't try to con a con artist. What would a righteous God want with a woman like me, anyway? Listen to me. Our God is mighty and righteous, but he's also merciful and forgives those who seek him. When we attack, hang this from your window, then you and your family will be saved. 
Swear it. Swear it. Our lives for your life. <laughs> Rahab, straight from the pages of God's word. Tie her hands! <laughs> well, well, well. Seems that the infamous Rahab is vulnerable after all. You're making a big mistake, pal. You're the one who made a mistake when you betrayed us. Now you will pay with your life. <laughs> oh, don't bother looking for your Hebrew friends. They can't help you. Been marching around the city for seven days now without so much as lifting a sword. The walls of Jericho are impenetrable. Timothy Rahab, you've been beaten. Coming soon to a theater near you. All right. That is an intriguing woman. I don't think she was quite like that in all those things. She doesn't throw the king out of the window, but uh, she, she does hide some spies, some 007 agents who show up at her place, and they're sent there by Joshua. Uh, what had happened was they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, as you know, and now Joshua takes over from Moses, and they're going into the promised land. The Jordan is between them and Jericho. The river is swollen. It's rainy season, and it could be as much as a mile wide. Normally, it's maybe 100 feet across, but this time of the year, it's very swollen, and they're on the other side. He sends spies into Jericho. He says, go check it out. So these Israeli 007 agents end up at her house. Why would they go there? Well, number one, her house is on the city wall, so she saw what was coming and going into the city. And uh, she's there because she has her house there because she runs a house of ill repute. She's a hooker. She's a prostitute. And uh, what better place to be on the city wall welcoming the men as they come into town. And then she would invite them up to her place. And they're not there for that reason. They're there because they want to get information. A lot of secrets are told there. So she's going to go and they're going to go and find out some secrets about what's happening in the city. And that's how they end up there. Her... Her faith is really what we want to look at today. What makes her intriguing, what lands her in the hall of faith is she just stands out from all the other people by what she does. And we want to look at how did she do this? Why did she do it? What happened? Hebrews 11.31, there in your notes, this is where we find her recorded in the hall of faith. It was by faith. Would you say with me this morning, by faith? By faith. Faith does something. By faith. There, there's a power in faith. By gasoline, cars run. By, by electricity, my microphone is being amplified. It was by faith, this power. By faith, the prostitute did not die with all the others in her city who refused to obey God. So they had an opportunity to obey God, but they refused to obey God. She does not refuse. She chooses to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Number one, she risked her life to collaborate with the spies. She really betrays her people to choose to go with 
these spies who show up at her door. And what she does is she hides them and she puts them up on the roof. She's got flax on the roof. They took flax and they made linen out of it. They, there was an amazing technology. The Egyptians had it. They had it. And they were, there were certain steps that they went through. And, and apparently this was the second step you go through. You'd lie the flax on the, on the roof and the, you'd take out the fibers. And that was woven into a fabric. And so she's, she's an industrious lady. She owns her own place. She's... I don't think she knew karate like we saw in the little video there, but who knows? Maybe she did. But she's industrious. She, she's hardworking. She's got a house. She's, and, uh, you know, she wasn't. You have to understand their culture. When we think prostitute, we think that type of a woman today, uh, their, their culture was a little bit different. One, it was endorsed by their society they, in their religious services as Canaanites, they actually had temple prostitutes, and a lot of the fathers would actually give their daughters to that service. And, and uh, it was very twisted, very dark, and they even offered children as sacrifices in that. So you have a very dark world. And Rahab is a survivor. She's, I think she's desperate. My take on it, she's a desperate lady, and she wants out of it, looking for a way out. She'd heard about God of the Israelites. She'd heard about being a God of mercy, a God of justice. She'd heard about this God. And where she lived, it was so oppressive, so dark. In our experience, when we've helped ladies that have been caught in the lifestyle of prostitution, when they share, when the, when the mask is off, and when they're just transparent with what's going on in their hearts to, to be really loved, to, to get past the abuse of, of men. And uh, even in, uh, in the past, we've talked to men that came to church, and they were male prostitutes in our city. And when you talk to them, it's hard to even grasp the pain, the hurt. I remember one young man who came, and he just so desperately wanted to be out of that darkness. Oh, on the outside, it looked like he had it all together, Mr. GQ, but the pain, the darkness in that world. And she, she's in a dark place. But you'll find out that she doesn't live with a victim mentality. You'll find out that she stands up and reaches out by faith to trust God with very little information, really. You and I have, well, we've got a Bible. We've got God's Word given to us, which is a great gift. We've got years of testimonies that we can read. We've got, we can look back over the pages of history and see God did this and God did that. So we're really privileged on all the information we have to believe and to trust God, whereas she didn't have much. She had a couple of snapshots and I think one of the reasons she's in the hall of faith is the way she radically trusted God with the little bit of information that she had. It was an incredible risk for her. Joshua 2 verse 3, there in your notes, it says, So the king sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house. She had them hiding in her house. They are spies. Others noticed that they were spies. They've been sent here to discover the best way to attack us. That's exactly why they were there. Rahab, who had hidden the two men, replied, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they were from. And she sends them out a different way. She lowers them down from her window of her place because her house was on the, on the wall. She lowers them down. It's about a 30-foot wall from the floor to ceiling in our auditorium here today. It's almost 30 feet. So that's about how far she lowers them down and they escape. 
She tells them they've gone a different way. She doesn't have them. She, she lies to them. Rahab is not a perfect lady. You've got to understand that. But she's a desperate lady, and she wants out. Big risk. She risks, of course, betraying her people. Her family would have wondered why she was doing what she was doing. Because they said, listen, we will we'll protect you when we come if you hang the red streamer, a red ribbon, the scarlet thread, so to speak, from your window. Then we know that will be the marker. Just get your family there. Get your, your, your brothers, your sisters, get your mom, your dad. Get them in that place, and you will be protected. I don't know what her brothers would have said. I don't know what her sisters would have said, but I, I could hear her brothers say, you know, that's the dumbest plan I've ever heard. Who came? Two spies. The enemy came here. You let them sleep in the house, and now they told you they hang a red uh, streamer from the window that we're going to be okay. How do we know this? Did you get anything written down? Did you get their email address? Did you get a phone number? Like, I mean, did you get anything? How do we know for sure that this will take place? How are they going to attack us? She, folks, she didn't know any of that. She was simply risky because faith is a risk. Faith trusts God when it looks impossible. I still trust God. It looked impossible, but here she is, this woman believing God despite the obviously impossibility in front of her. So number two, she trusted the word brought by the messengers. So she risked. Secondly, she trusts. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, where we have the story about her, that verse about her, it starts off in Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of something you hope for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith sees something and believes it before it's there. Then later on, what you believe, you see. But you, you know, the old saying, well, seeing is believing. Well, that faith is believing before you see. Before she ever saw her freedom, she was believing, I'll be free. She, you know what? She saw herself free from the darkness that she lived in. She saw herself escaping before it ever happened. That's faith. She knew that God had done stuff for them in the past because in Joshua 2, verses 8 to 11, she believed what God had done. If you want to turn to Joshua chapter 2, we can read from verse 8 to 11. She's saying to these spies, now, before they lay down, she came up onto the roof and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. She said, I know what's going on. And she had the inside scoop where she lived. She knew what was going on. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did neither there remained any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now we just need to point something out in verse 11 here. This is really, really important because she uses two words there for God. She uses the word Elohim and she uses the word Jehovah. Elohim means God, majestic and mighty. And then she also uses the word for God, which is merciful. Somehow, this intriguing lady has a revelation that God here is mighty and strong and powerful, but God's also merciful. 
This was really important for her because she was believing that God would be merciful to her. She's got nothing to stand on. She's, she hasn't done anything to deserve God's favor in her life. It wasn't her lifestyle. She's a prostitute. She's a liar. She's got lots of things not going for her. But she has this amazing faith, and she trusts what these guys say to her. She said, God's done great things for you in the past, and she believed that God will do great things in the future. But the key to this, uh, you've got you to catch this point. The key to it, she believes God will do something right now. That's why the Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Oh, we can believe God did great things in the past because he parted the Red Sea and they went through the Red Sea and God did that miracle in the past and God raised Jesus from the dead in the past. And and I believe he'll do great things in the future. There'll be a new heavens, there'll be a new earth and Jesus will be doing this in the future. God will be doing that in the future. But faith is present tense. Faith is right now for what you need. What do you need today? God is in the present. He's, he's in the now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. She, she didn't say, well, you know, a month down the road, I'll hang the red streamer. You know, a year down the road, or if I see you coming across the river and I see you approaching, then I'll hang the red streamer. You know when she hung the red streamer? Then and there she hangs the red streamer. She does it now. She trusted what they said, and she acted on it. Faith is now. Faith is not a coincidence. It's not positive thinking. It's not wishing on a star. It's not some leap in the dark, but it's stepping into light. Real faith is simply taking God at his word. So, to review, number one, she risked. Faith is a risk. She took a huge risk. I don't think... I can really describe how great a risk she took to really unpack and to paint the picture for you the huge risk this prostitute took. She was risking her life, her family's life, by hiding the spies. Big risk. Then she trusts messengers. Some guys show up, spies tell her this, and she trusts them. No contract, no other evidence. She just believes what? Word. Faith is based on God's word. Now, as we read in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith is based on God's word, first and foremost. So those are key points. But then number three, she does something really important that makes her, again, a qualifier for the hall of faith. She left her past behind, and she didn't use it as an excuse not to follow God. For some, what they've done in the past, they think, this disqualifies me from ever being in God's camp, so to speak, because look what I've done. I don't qualify to be here. A number of years ago, we had a, a gal come to church, and uh, she was invited to church, and, and she says, well, I can't come. I don't qualify to come. You, you, you don't know what I've done. I, I, I shouldn't come to church because... She was a prostitute. She said, I can't come here. I'm, I'm a drug user. If I come to church, the walls are going to cave in. But she wasn't just a prostitute. She used to be he. So she went through a sex change. And so her, her case was very complicated. She said, I can't come here. I, I'm, I'm not qualified to come. And her, the friend invited her. said, no, no, you're welcome to come. She said, but you don't understand. You know the risk she took coming to church? She, she was afraid that, well, maybe that church will reject me. Maybe Coastal Church won't have me. 
Maybe they'll find out and they'll, they'll push me away. He said, you know, one thing, my, my, later on she said, my, my spirit didn't go through a sex change. My body did, but not my spirit. That's the world we live in. Her world was, was fractured and broken. Our world is fractured and broken. So she came, took a big risk. Her struggle was, can I use the bathroom? It's a complication. But she came. She sat in the back. She came again. And then one day after the end of the service, she prayed the prayer with us. Tears began to flow down her face. And she felt this amazing peace and love flow through her and this overwhelming sense of forgiveness that she was right with God, not based on her life or what she did. And she looked at her friend, the brother, and said, what just is happening to me? Something's going on. Something inside me is changing. I don't know what is happening. It was freaking her out. And she said, what's going on? And her friend said, oh, you just got saved. She goes, oh, no. Because <laughs> she heard so much about Christians. She says, can it be really true? She says, did, I re- did that really happen? No, it can't be. I, I don't qualify. And she said, yeah, you did. Jesus came into your life. And she wept some more. She just, oh, she was so grateful. And something happened. Her drug addiction dried up, went away. Her lifestyle changed. She stopped being a prostitute. And she said, I think I'll just be celibate the rest of my life. It's easier. But the Lord rescued her. She sat on a wall in the east side of Vancouver. Big risk. Trusted God's word. She left her life behind. She didn't use it as an excuse. If anybody would have had an excuse not to come to church and I don't qualify, she would have had an excuse. But she didn't use it. And she wasn't the victim. This is Rahab. Folks, for her to be in the hall of faith, this intriguing woman does not use her past to hold her back as an excuse. She doesn't live with this victim mentality. Her hope is not in her past and what she's done. Her hope is in the future, that the promises of God are true. And she has an amazing future ahead of her, not because of what, who she is or what she's done. She has an amazing future because of God and his promises. She's not living her life looking in the rearview mirror. That's a terrible way to drive your car. If you drive and you just constantly look in the rearview mirror, it's okay to check your rearview mirror, see where you come from. Because your past is a good guidepost, but it's a lousy hitching post. You want to only look to that rearview mirror to see where you've come from, but your focus is through the windshield of your car, the front windshield. Not looking at that rearview mirror. This is this is this amazing woman, Rahab. She doesn't get stuck there looking in the in the past. She says, I will look forward. And this is 2 Corinthians 5:17 in a nutshell where it says, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Hallelujah. For that lady who came, that I told you about her story just now, it was a brand new life. And uh, we followed her for a number of years. She moved and, and, and left and, and went on. But the last we heard, she was living a brand new life. How good is that? But she, was, she did all these points. She risked big. She trusted God's word. And she left her past behind. The other thing that Rahab does that's really important and very intriguing is the way she acts in faith and hangs the red streamer. 
James picks up on this. She's one of the women that's referred to a number of times in the New Testament who lived in the Old Testament. James, who is the pastor at Jerusalem Church, the first church ever in Jerusalem, he's the brother to Jesus, who was kind of a late believer, but he ends up becoming the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. And so he writes a letter to the church there, and James brings up Rahab. And here's the context, James chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. So you see, we are made right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example of this. She was made right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as a body is dead without a spirit, so also faith is dead without good deeds. Another translation says faith is dead without corresponding action. If you don't have corresponding action to your faith, your faith is dead. Her corresponding action to her faith, what was she believing for? Let's start there. What was Rahab trusting God for? To get out of that dark world, that she would be spared and her family would be spared. That's what she's believing for. That's where her faith is at. It looks impossible. The odds are against her. Very little to base her faith on compared to what we have. Just a couple words from the messenger, a couple things that's been revealed to her. But she's trusting in that. And then she acts on it. How does she act on it? Well, she sends the spies out. She's hidden them. And she ties this red streamer from her window after they leave, believing that they're going to come back for her. I'm sure her family would have thought she was nuts. But she's believing anyhow. She is like many of us, first to faith. Maybe that's you. First to faith in your family. First to faith in your culture. Do you see what she did? The boldness that she stood up and said, even though my culture doesn't get it, their culture was trying to pull her away from this, and she steps forward. I really appreciate those that we baptized a number of people last, a week ago, Saturday, and some of those, it was, they're the first ones in their family to say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Man, I, I just stand back and salute them for the incredible faith that it takes to say, I'm going to follow. This is Rahab. That what works for her, she puts action to her faith. Baptism is one of the greatest examples of action to your faith. That's why whenever you're baptized or when you are baptized, there is this amazing sense of God just pleased with you because faith pleases God. And baptism is a radical action to your faith. It's going public saying, I've decided to follow the Lord. My life has been changed. My old life is buried in the water. I'm a new person when I come out of the water. It represents a brand new me through what God has done in my life. Baptism is a radical action to your faith. When we live our life, faith, of course, is a prayer. We pray, say, God, I need your help. I trust your word on this. But faith has different layers. One of the layers is to put action to your faith. Let me give you an example. If I'm, let's say I'm making minimum wage... And uh, I think our premier is going to raise the minimum wage. But even with the raise of minimum wage, I don't have enough to pay my bills. I don't have to have my kids in school or, or whatever it might be. I don't have enough to feed my family, let's say, because I'm on minimum wage. So I, I, I read God's word, and he, he promises in his word that the righteous have not been forsaken or baking bread. I read in his word that he provides all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. And so I, I read these promises. And so now I go to pray and I, I pray. I say, God, I thank you that as you read your word that you meet all of my needs. And Lord, I have these needs, these financial needs. And I'm asking you by faith that you would meet these needs in my life in the name of Jesus. So I pray. 
Now, if all I do is pray, and I put in even a prayer request, and I submit that, and the prayer team's praying, there's, James is saying here, Rahab was recognized because she put action to her faith. She, she put deed to her faith. There was corresponding action to her faith. So if I'm praying, God, I, I, I'm not making enough money, and I, I got bills piling up, and I'm believing for more so I can, I can pay my bills and feed my family, I, the action to that would be, maybe I have to take a course at nighttime. Maybe I need to go back to school and take a course that would allow me to go to another level in my workplace. That's action to my faith. That means on a Sunday night, turning off the Canucks game and studying, mind you. That's a hard thing to do. That means maybe not playing my Nintendo, if that's what you're into, or not going for a golf game, or, or not getting my nails done, or whatever you would happen to do. You say, no, I, I, so there's a sacrifice involved. I put an action to my faith. Or maybe if I'm, my marriage is on the rocks, and I'm going, oh, God, please save my marriage. God, please help my marriage. And, well, what's the action that I would put to it? What's the corresponding action to my faith? Well, it might be going to abundant life when we have a marriage course. That would be action to your faith. It might be getting a marriage counselor. It's like Cheryl mentioned earlier, celebrating your anniversary. Those are, that's the action to your faith. Really, I should just stop and park here for a long time. Because this is where a lot of Christians will miss it. We pray and we pray, but... If we just have faith, no corresponding action, our faith is dead. Now, for every mile of road, we say there's two miles of ditch. And the one side of the the ditch is we don't do anything. We just have prayed. We don't do anything. We just think it's going to drop out of the sky. And God's our bellboy in the sky. And he just will drop that rage or the car or the great marriage or whatever we believe for into our laps. That's one ditch. The other ditch is, is presumption or foolishness. And we've counseled people that said, oh, you know, I'm believing God for an increase in my finances. And so by faith, I've just gone and spent a bunch of money on credit. I, I put it all on my credit card because I believe God's going to bring the money in. That would be the other ditch. That would be the foolishness or presumption. So in our faith, we put action to it. This is what she does. She acts on her faith. And as a result of it, it's counted to her as righteousness. The scarlet thread is important because it represents something that we also saw when they came out of Israel. They... When they came out of Israel, they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and it protected their home. If we go back to Genesis, there was a scarlet thread because God provided Adam and Eve, instead of leaves, he provided them with a, a garment made from an animal skin. Blood was shed for that. And as you go through the Bible, there's this red scarlet thread, which appears again here with Rahab, all the way up to when our Lord dies for us. Again, his blood was shed for us. This scarlet thread runs throughout the entire Bible. And it represents God's forgiveness, his cleansing, his acceptance of us, not based on what we've done. 1 John 1, 7, it's there in your notes. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, we have fellowship with each other. And what? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. So, going back, reviewing, number one. She risked, this intriguing woman took an amazing risk there on the walls of Jericho where she lived as a prostitute. She trusted what the messenger said. She trusted God's word. She left her past behind, didn't allow it to be an excuse not to go forward. She acted by faith. And then number five, she told her family and her household. Now, this is a natural byproduct when God's touched our lives. 
when God's touched our lives, what do we want to do? We naturally want to reach out to our family and our friends. And she does this. And that we, we, you know, if you go to the book of Matthew, you'll find that Rahab is mentioned in the book of Matthew. And hers is an R-rated story. But there's three other R-rated stories at the very beginning of the book of Matthew. Folks, it's missions. It's God loving the world. Then if you go to the other end of Matthew, the other parentheses in the book of Matthew is go and tell the world, Jesus says. So on either side of this account of Matthew, you have Rahab and the other ladies there. Somebody called them the grandmothers of Christmas. On that side of Matthew, on the other side, you have the Great Commission. It's missions. God cares about the world. And he cares about us telling others. So then number six, she's rewarded. Uh, faith has a reward. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith it's impossible to please him, for he, he comes to God, must believe that he is. And Rahab does this despite her circumstances. And then we must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God's a good God. Amen? And to come to faith in God, you have to believe that God's a good God. She was believing God's a good God. She got tired of serving these other gods that were so dark. And she came to the light. She came to a faith in a living God and was rewarded for it. How was she rewarded? Well, one, her house was spared. But I think also her reward was she found a husband. You know, if you lived a life, a hard life as a hooker, uh, and you were an outsider to begin with, now you're going to move into this other camp. How many of you got a couple things going against you as far as finding the right man for your life? It's like, oh, okay. Everybody would know. Oh, yeah, that's the hooker who lived on the wall. She's the one that did this and that, and, uh, and yeah, she's, she's not one of us. But she finds a husband. I think she's faith. Intriguing woman. Now, her husband, her, his name is Peace. She marries a guy by the name of Solomon. And if Matthew 1, 5 is there, and you know, Solomon begat Boaz by Rahab. This is the genealogy of Jesus. So that Rahab and Solomon get married, and they have baby Boaz. Baby Boaz marries Ruth. Do you remember last week's story about Naomi? Isn't this amazing? Think of it. Ruth is related now to Rahab. It's her mother-in-law. What an amazing story. All of a sudden, the hooker who lived on the outside of the wall, who had nothing going for her, but just believes God radically by faith, is woven into the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and she becomes a great-great-grandmother of King David. You talk about a legacy. Man, you could be here today and you have been broken. You've been on the outside. You've got nothing absolutely going for you. But faith will take you from a place of insignificance to a place of significance. It's a place of obscurity to a place of legacy. It's this faith that brought her there. What an intriguing woman. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.